Well, uh, here's our goal for this series that we've been in, is that you would, you would love your church. I, one of my goals for you is that you love your church. Um, when we talk about loving anybody, I think what we usually mean is we mean we love their heart. You just saw Kathy. If you, if you meet Kathy uh, on, on the video here, if you meet Kathy, the thing that you find out about Kathy very quickly is that she has a very big heart. And it's not hard to love Kathy because she's got a beautiful heart. In fact, when you say you love Kathy, what you probably love about Kathy is you love her heart. There's a whole host of people. I could talk about Larry Lane, who leads, our, uh, leads Living Waters. And if you meet Larry, you, you find out about his heart. When you love somebody, you love their heart. And so my hope for you through this series, as we've been working through these things together, is that you would, you would say, I love the heart of my church, because as we're, we're talking about our values, because it's our values that help us to understand what the heart is like, and, and our, our values help us to say yes to things, and our values help us to say no to things, and, the, and our values give us handles to understand ourselves. So we've been, we've been using these, this, some language just to define our heart, because I want you to love your church. And we're going to put all these on the, the screen here for you. And I want to invite you to read these out loud with me. And then we'll look at the one we're going to talk about today. Can you start over here on the left? Out loud with me, would you? Uh, we are relentless. We don't give up on people ever. It's the value of love. We do whatever it takes. We build for who's coming because we believe in God's future. It's the value of innovation out of love. We believe in transformation God's grace means you aren't stuck, and there's always more to come. It's the value of change. And then last week, we talked about the fact that we are radically generous. Would you out loud? We are radically generous. We give until it hurts to mend the needs of a hurting world. And then this week, we knock down barriers. We ruthlessly eliminate barriers that keep people out because grace welcomes people in. Now, I just want you to, if you could leave that on the screen for me for just a second, guys. I want you to look at that. And uh, I I want you to recognize, we're not, when we put these words on the screen, we're not talking about a specific age. Uh, We're not talking to you if you're at a specific stage. We're not talking to you about your education. We're not talking to you about your preferences. We're not talking about your past or your future. We're talking about heart. And if, if you go, well, I'm not sure if I fit or if I'm, I have a place. If your heart is like this, can we join hands and love, love our city together? Could we do that and love our world together? I just want to invite you in. I want to invite you in to the heart. Now, this, uh, this passage that we read is kind of a famous text. It's, uh, it's the scene where Jesus goes in and cleanses the temple. It's actually in one of the few scenes that's in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This scene is depicted in all of the Gospels, and Jesus goes in and just cleanses the temple. I mean, you might say, you know, hashtag angry Jesus. Uh, And and I I wonder, though, um, if you've heard this passage preached or used in a Sunday school class or in a conversation, I wonder, though, if we often miss the point. I think we need to understand the background, and because Mark here is trying to make a point about the heart of Jesus to remove false barriers. So we're going to understand for a second 
the background, and then at the end, we're going to apply this. I want to give you some ways that you can put this into practice this week. Now, you, you need to understand that Mark, uh, Mark frames this. All the gospel writers were very bright and intelligent people who um, were writing with an agenda, and their agenda was to make the message of Jesus known, and they did it in a very, very skillful way. And if you were to back out from this scene in uh, Mark chapter 11, you would see that Mark actually brackets this story of Jesus cleansing the temple with this other story. And it's a little odd uh, it, it, on the face. You, you, Jesus is walking down the road on his way into Jerusalem, and he sees this fig tree. Now, I've got a picture of a fig tree, so you can kind of get in your mind what Jesus is seeing. He sees this fig tree on his way into Jerusalem. He goes up to it, and he looks for fruit, and there's no fruit. And then he does something really unusual. He curses the fig tree. And the disciples are like, what are you, what are you doing, Jesus? And then Jesus goes in, and, and what we read here in Mark chapter 11, and this famous scene of Jesus driving out the money changers. And then after that scene, Jesus goes back out of Jerusalem, and they go past this same fig tree. And his disciples say, Jesus, look, it's the, it's the fig tree that you cursed, and they, they saw it, and it was withered from the roots. Now, you need, to, you need to get the context. Again, it's very important to understand what Mark's trying to say to us right here. In Mark eleven twelve, 12, before Jesus goes and goes to this fig tree, I'll put the, the verse for you on the screen, Mark eleven twelve. 12. Uh, they're leaving Bethany, the, the town where Jesus had friends, and Jesus was hungry. Keep that in your mind. Jesus was hungry. He's going somewhere to get something that he needs. And he didn't get what he needed from something that was made to provide needs. And Jesus is critiquing. We're going to unpack this in a second. Jesus is critiquing the whole enterprise of religion. And he's saying, people are coming to God to get their needs met. And they're going away hungry. So then he walks in. It's just kind of this performance art that Jesus is doing. He goes in in, in Mark 11, uh, chapter 15. He enters the temple courts and he starts to drive out the people who are buying and selling there. Now, I, I've kind of grown up in this. Uh, my dad was a, a, a missionary and a pastor, so I've grown up as a pastor's kid and as a missionary's kid in, in the church of the Nazarene. And, and growing up, uh, when you know, there would be like a fundraiser or T-shirt sales or uh, tickets for some event... Um, we, we were able to sell the t-shirts and we were able to sell the tickets on Wednesday night. Now, some of you have been around for a while. Do you remember the day when you would go to church on Sunday morning and then you'd have church again on, you'd get a nap and your hair would be all funny and then you would go to church on Sunday night and then there would be a church again on Wednesday. I know some of you who've not been around this, you're like, what? Uh, but it was, that's, that's how a lot of us grew up. And so you could, on Wednesday night, no problem, man. You could have a table in the back. You could sell those T-shirts for $25. Didn't matter. But man, don't you dare sell those T-shirts on Sunday morning. I mean, come on. And I, and I always kind of wondered why and, and what, what, what would be given back or what I heard back was this passage as the reason why you were not allowed to sell those T-shirts on on, on Sunday morning, and this passage kind of, was, the, the, the implication at least was that you were 
profaning the house of God by selling something in it. And, and so in one sense, you know, markets are evil and the church is a holy space and don't mix those up, I mean, at least on Sunday. <laughs> now, you, you got to understand, though, the background of what's going on because that's not exactly what Jesus, the point Jesus is trying to make here. Um, I've got a picture here for you. I've got to give you a little background of the, the temple in the day of, of Jesus. Now, you could go to the Western Wall. Some of you have been to that. You've seen the, the immensity of those stones. It's just one of the out, exterior walls of this whole complex. And um, there in the middle is the inner courts and the Holy of Holies where the Jewish people would make their sacrifices. And you can see around the edges was uh, what was called the Court of the Gentiles. And now, just to get a sense of the size of this, I mean, at the high holy days, you could fit something like people inside the court of the Gentiles. And um, this was the, if you were a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, this was the only place you can go. Now you can kind of see it here on the sides of the, of the, the main inner courts and in the Holy of Holies, a kind of a barrier there. And you were, if a Gentile was about five feet tall, and so you could see over it, but you weren't to go past it. In fact, they've, uh, archaeologists have found the stones that had the sign that said a message to the people who were non-Jewish about how far they could go. Here's a picture of the actual sign with uh, the wording on it that you would have read there in the Greek language. This is the translation, though. I want you to see this. Uh, Let no foreigner enter within the parapet and the partition which surrounds the temple precincts. Anyone caught will be held accountable for his ensuing death. <laughs> like, you know, like, don't go past that point or you are going to die. I mean, there was this point of contention. Paul, even in one of his letters to the Christians in Ephesus, he calls it the dividing wall of hostility. And, and uh, according to historians, they said that the high priest had basically made this decision and said, okay, now listen, uh, people come to the temple to sacrifice and you know, fulfill the Jewish law and, you know, they, they, before they come in, they have to buy the sacrifice of the lamb, or if they're poor, they buy the sacrifice of a dove. And, and that happens outside the gates. What if we just moved that inside? And we'll just set up, like, we'll set up some tables. And in fact, they said that at Passover, which was the high and holy feast where you would remember the Passover of God taking the Israelites out of Egypt, that it could be something like 200,000 lambs would be sold. I mean, we're talking, we're talking some coin here. And so the high priest basically says, okay, well, why don't we just let people buy those things there in the court of the Gentiles? I mean, they're going to go do it somewhere, so why not here? Now, Jesus uh, sees all this happening, and he critiques it. Now, I heard one person say it this way. Only the person who owns the house gets to rearrange the furniture. I mean, which is a great way to think about Jesus cleansing the temple. But why does Jesus wait till this moment? I mean, this is not his first time into the temple. If you read the gospel stories, you know that Jesus was there as a boy, and he'd seen this happen for the majority of his life. Why does he pick this moment to do that thing? Well, Jesus is trying to make a point. He's, he's trying to say, listen, this is a place unique where people are to connect with God. And what we have done as human beings is we have put up barriers to God. And it's, that, it's that fig tree. People are coming in hungry, they, but they can't get to God. And, and it's a cursed experience. And so here's how he says it in verse 17. He says, isn't it written? 
My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, where is it written? Uh, Jesus is tapping back in to the prophetic tradition, some of the prophets of the, that are in the Old Testament. Now, you've got to understand something about the Bible. The story of the Bible, you could almost say it kind of happens in, in three cycles that repeat. The heart of God is revealed for all people, and people make rules to access God because they don't really believe the heart of God is for all people. And then God sends truth-tellers, prophets, to remind them of his heart. And it's just this cycle that happens again and again. And, and so Jesus reaches back to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 56 to talk about a house of prayer. And then he reaches back to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 7 to talk about a den of robbers. And, and Jesus puts those two passages together. So here's what we need to do for just a second. We need to click the link of those two passages so that we can understand what Jesus is trying to get at here. Isaiah chapter 56 is about the heart of God. And now, understand this, in those rules that people made to access God, um, the Jewish people set it up so that there were two categories of people that were, according to the Old Testament law, always excluded. Um, The categories were a person who was a foreigner, so a non-Jewish person, we would call that person a Gentile, and then a eunuch. Now, I'm not going to explain to you what a eunuch is. If you don't know what a eunuch is, it's, file that under things pastors don't want to explain on a sermon on a Sunday morning. Ask your mom at lunch, okay? Um, but, but you are either a eunuch by birth, by a genetic defect, you're a male. It was by choice because you wanted to serve in the household of an official, and the official thought if you were a eunuch and we made you that way, then you wouldn't be trouble for the women in his household. Or it was by force as a way of, of humiliating a person. And so those two categories of people were excluded. Now, now understand why the heart and, and the idea behind the Jewish people saying those people need to be excluded. They believe, like many of us believe today, that it's your ritual purity that gets you close to God. In other words, you need to have your life clean. And if you come into God's presence and your life is not clean, watch out. I mean, the lightning bolts may come from heaven or the roof may cave in. And they, they identified those people and they said, those people, they're, they're not pure enough. And Isaiah tries to say, no, wait, 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 you're missing the heart. You're missing the heart of God. So let's, let's double-click. Isaiah 56, verse 3. I'm going to give you a bunch of this, so stay with me here. Isaiah says this, let, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord... Can you already see the heart of God? Is there's a place for foreigners? Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. Now, can you, can you tap into a second for a second, into the heart of those two groups of people? Can you think about that person who's a foreigner, they're an outsider, and they're afraid? You know, I, I, I really do have in my heart some kind of hunger for God, and apparently the Jewish people have a way to access God, but I'm really worried that I'm, 
I'm not going to belong and I'm not going to fit in. And if I show up, the roof is going to cave in. And they're not going to accept me. Uh, can you tap into the heart of that, the person who's a eunuch and they're, they're saying to themselves, like, I, I, I've got nothing to offer and people are going to understand that I have nothing to offer and that I don't count. And, and here's, here's, you need to understand, apparently, according to Isaiah, God cares about people who have those kinds of anxieties and fears. He's worried about them. Now, I'm going to give you a big chunk of change here of, of Isaiah. I want you to stay with me here, but just, I want you to hear the heart of God here. This is Isaiah 56, verse 4. For this, and then he goes on. For this is what the Lord says. Just here. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me. And again, the Jewish people, like those, they're not allowed in. They're not pure enough. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. Do you understand a eunuch can't have sons and daughters? They've got no future. In other words, the, the message Isaiah is sending is, listen, your life circumstances don't cut you off from God. He says, I'm going to give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And then he talks about the foreigners. He says, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and be his servants and keep the Sabbath. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Again, the Jewish people are like, you're not pure enough. You show up, the roof's going to cave in. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called, there it is, there's the phrase, a house of prayer for all nations. I, uh, uh, one place I pastored, um, there was a, I worked out at a gym, a specific gym. There was one gym, really one gym in town, and so I worked out at the gym, and, and there was a guy there that was, uh, I don't know, he's unique. Um, loud, brash. Um, you, you always knew what he thought because he would tell the whole room, right? He'd just say everything that he thought. One Easter, um, someone sent me a message. They knew that person, and I knew, you know, I'd say hi to him in the gym, you know. Um, sent me a, a message that he had written to them, and he said, uh, you know, I, I grew up, um, and I, I, I grew up around the church, and then you had some sort of bad experience. I, I don't know the whole experience. But he said he, he, uh, he stayed away from, he thought, he, he was, had this fear. He, he thought, you know, I've lived the kind of life, and he was, again, sending this message to this friend of mine. I've lived the kind of life that I'm sure keeps me away from God, and I, I kind of want to be around God, but I, I just am afraid, and this is the phrase he used, I'm afraid that the roof is going to cave in if I were to walk through the doors of a church. And so one, one Sunday, he got in his car, kind of a brave thing for him, and again, if you knew this guy, you'd go, what? what? He got in his car, and he drove to the parking lot, and he sat in the parking lot, and he said to my friend, he said, I... I just couldn't go all the way in. I, just, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. And I thought, ah, so this is a guy who's, he's just afraid by walking in the door that he's excluded. Had another couple in our church that um, um, the, the, the wife had gone through some, it was a story that I didn't delve into, I didn't ask, it wasn't my business, but... 
some experience growing up and, and the church it just was a, a negative thing for her and, and um, her husband would come and, but she wouldn't. Uh, unless her grandkids were doing something, if we had like a kids program, and then they would, they would come and, and her husband sat every Sunday up in the balcony in the front row and they would sit up in the balcony in the front row and she would come, sweet, sweet lady. She would sit up there and, and I saw it happen enough times that she would sit up there and, and I would look, you know, I'd look every week. She was there. And she would be crying the whole service. She's felt this sense like she couldn't make this connection to God. She, she had a hunger for something, but something kept her. I, I don't know. I'm, just, I'm trying to paint the picture here. I, I don't know if you see the tenderness that Isaiah is trying to evoke for us about the foreigner and the eunuch and the heart of God to welcome somebody who feels like they're far from God. And he even says, he says, let no foreigner or let no eunuch say. In other words, don't you be the reason they say that. Don't, don't you be the one that puts up false barriers to people I love. Don't do things that keep people who are hungry for God, from God. Pay attention. Don't let this happen. He's putting the burden on us. Because there's a barrier there and they feel a barrier. I, I I don't know if you can get in, in your head, in your mind, that Jesus walks into the temple and he sees those people, in the, like the guys who think the roof is going to cave in and they've been pushed off to the corner, right? And he knows Isaiah's and he knows the heart of God because he is God. He's like, my heart is for everybody, but you've created barriers that push those people off to the corner. And then if you're a good Jew, you walk in and you just think that's how it works, right? Oh, well, they stay over there and I go through the thing. Can, can, you, can you begin to get a sense of why Jesus would see that and why he would be angry, right? Wait, you're missing it. Then he goes to Jeremiah chapter 7, and uh, this, he, again, he puts these two things together, and he says, uh, Jeremiah 7, he says, okay, so stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. You're like, okay, wait, okay, hang on. What's the message that God wants us to proclaim? Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah. Who's he addressing? the people of God. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel, reform your ways and your actions. Change your why and change your what. Your ways, that's why you do things. Your actions are what you do. He says, and then don't trust in deceptive words. Now, what are the deceptive words that he says in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 4? Well, this is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. The deceptive words are, well, this is church, so I, I'm here, and I guess I'm okay, and as long as I'm here, I'm good, and, and, and I don't have to change anything about myself because I'm, I'm here. And then he goes on in, in verse 5, and he says, if you really change your ways and your actions, and then he, he lists how, how to change your ways and actions, and deal with each other justly, if you don't oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, you don't shed innocent blood, if you don't follow other gods, then I'm going to let you live in this place. Do, do you see the tenderness again? What's a foreigner? A foreigner is a person who's, they're, they're looking for something, right? They're, they're on a journey somewhere. They're, they're seeking, they're hoping. What's the person who's fatherless? It's the person who's lonely. It's the person who's abandoned. It's the person who walks through life with an orphan kind of a spirit. Like, I don't belong to anybody. What, who's the widow? It's the person who's grieving. It's the person who's hurting economically. Shed blood 
innocent blood because they don't agree with it. He says, but look, he says, but you're, 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 you're trusting in those deceptive words and going, well, I'm part of the church, so. And then he, then he just really zeroes in. He's in verse 9, he says, will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury and burn incense to Baal, one of a false god, and follow other gods you've not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, well, we're saved because we're in church. Has, and there, there, there's the quote, has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? Now, Jesus, again, is taking Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah chapter 7, and he's putting them together. Okay, so when he says, this is a house of prayer, and we've made it into a den of robbers, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, you've made it about you and what works for you, and by default, you've neglected the people God cares about. You've not paid attention to what you've created. It's business as usual. Again, I want you to think, put yourself in the mind of a Jewish person in, in that day, and when your parents would say to you, hey, we're going go to the, we're gonna go to the temple, and you would go to the temple, and, and you would just look around, and you would just assume it's normal that the court of the Gentiles, that they're over here, and that there's a barrier with a sign that threatens them with death if they go past, but you're, you're fine, you can go through there. I mean, that's just how it is, right? I'm not responsible for that. That's just how it is. Now, Remember that? Remember, I told you Jesus starts off this. There's this scene with this fig tree, and then Jesus cleanses the temple because they they walk out the next day. Jesus has just made this. I mean, massive. Like, wait a second, guys, you need to pay attention to what you're doing. He, they walk out of the city the next day, and the disciples are like, Jesus, look, the tree you cursed. It's, I mean, it's withered from the roots. And here's what Jesus is saying: that approach to religion bears no fruit. Okay, Scott, so what, what are you saying? <laughs> what, what, are we, what are we supposed to be doing? What, tell, tell me what I'm supposed to... I, I want to give you... I just want to suggest to you that what Jesus is trying to say is we have to pay attention to barriers that we've put up that we may not realize we've put up that keep people out. So I want to give you one barrier that I, I think... Um, is uh, it's kind of easy to overcome, and we'll, we'll, I'll give you a way to overcome it. I think it's kind of easy to overcome, and one that's going to require some really, really deep repentance on your part and on mine. Now, I, I need you to say, because some of you are saying, well, wait a second, wait a second. You mean, I mean, there are barriers, right? I mean, there are real barriers. The, the gospel is a barrier. The, the cross is a barrier. The fact that you are a sinner, that's a barrier. The fact that you and I have to die to ourselves, that's a barrier. In fact, Paul, when he talks about the message of Jesus, he says, the message of Jesus, it's a rock that makes men stumble. And I'm not, I'm not talking about removing those barriers. I'm not talking, like, we all got to wrestle with the barrier of Jesus and the fact that we are away from God. I'm, I'm talking about false barriers, <laughs> Like things we put, allow to just happen and we're not really recognizing it and it keeps people out. Uh, and and, and here, here's, a, here's a way to think about it. it there, there are things that as Christians that we, um, we hold with an open hand and there are things that as Christians we hold with a closed hand. What's the difference? Well, a closed hand is like, I, I'll, I'll talk about it with you and we'll even debate it and I'll try and explain to you why we see it this way that Jesus 
is truly God in human form, that Jesus died for our sins on the cross so that we could be right with God, and that Jesus rose physically from the dead. Those are closed-hand things. Don't ever let those go. That is the faith, right? I'll talk about them. I'll debate them. We need to talk about them. People have to figure out what that means, but those are closed-hand things. Like, you got to wrestle with those things because that's, that's the truth. But then there's a whole other set of things that's just preferences and how I, how I have, am used to doing things. And they're just open-handed things, right? It's just like, well, you, you, I, I remember growing up, um, one thing that we could do is we could play on a ping-pong table that has a green top. We couldn't play on a pool table that also had a green top. Burr? <laughs> the reason was the pool tables were in pool halls, which prior to me was like a bad place, right? But those are open-handed. I'm talking about the open-handed things. I'm not talking about the closed-handed things. Are you tracking with me? And, and here's what we have to do about barriers. Barriers aren't broken until we see them and then replace them. So here's what, I mean, you have to see it means that you have to recognize that it keeps people out. Have you ever had this experience where um, you're working on a project at your house and you don't quite get done with the project and you kind of forget about it and it's some, another project takes you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like something's undone and, and, and you see it the first day and you're like, I got to finish that. And then you see it the next week and you're like, I got to finish that. And about week two or three, you forget that it's even there. You know, you walk right past it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, people who study these things, they call it insider blindness. After a while, you just forget that it's there, right? It, it's, the, it's the status quo, right? Which is you accept things as they are without questioning if that's how they should be. And I'm saying you got to see that and then what we have to do is replace it with an intentional act of love. And so what we do is we critique by creating something better. Are you tracking with me? So let me give you these two barriers. One, the first one's easy to remove, and the second one's going to require some repentance. I, I call it a language barrier. Um, in other words, that means I assume that you know what I mean. Uh, when we lived in Virginia, uh, a friend of mine was a, a Navy chaplain, was stationed in Norfolk, Virginia, which is about an hour and a half to the east, and, and he was trying to get me to become a chaplain in the Navy, and he said, hey, why don't you come over to, for the day, and I'll give you a tour. So I drove over, got up at about 3.30 in the morning, and drove over uh, to Norfolk, Virginia, onto the base, and he met me there, and, and I walked through his whole day with him. Walked on a destroyer and on an aircraft carrier, and then I, and then I met the admiral of the, the group, you know, and I was just like, I, it was this really kind of fun experience. And then, I, then he's like, well, hey, why don't you come sit with me in a staff meeting? Now, those of you in the military, you know what I'm getting ready to say, right? I sat there, and uh, I, I mean, they may have been telling, like, state secrets. I had no idea what they were saying, because it was like, does the NAACP with the LTD and the PBS have the ABC PDQ? I, I had no idea. What, I'm like, what? I look over him at one point, he's like, listen, I don't understand what they're saying either. It's like acronyms for everything, right? I was an outsider because I didn't understand what they were saying, and, and I didn't get it. So you have to see that the way we, we, we talk as Christians, I, I, I call it churchies or Christianese, we, we, we talk in our own language sometimes. I, like, you've ever, have you ever said this? Have you ever had this experience where you're like, man, I'm just so glad that I'm covered by the blood. Mm, I'm covered by the blood. I want, now, those of you who've been around for a while, you know exactly what I mean, but I want you to hear that through the lens of someone who's never been here. You're covered by the blood. What am I? Are, are you tracking? 
And, and when you're new and everyone is using language that you don't know, you feel dumb. I'll give you a really personal way. I, you have to replace this with a, an intentional act of love, and I'll give you a personal way I do it. But you, here's, here's how you can replace that, okay? Just assume that there's always people who don't know what you know. They don't know what word mean, words mean. And just adopt the attitude that I want to be one of the people who brings people along, and you're going to function as a guide. In other words, you're going to go back and take people over terrain that you've already been over. A really simple way that, I, that it impacts me is just how I preach. You've, I'm sure if you've been around, you've heard me say, hey, that's one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And if you've been around for a while, you're like, wait a second, I know what those, why are you keep telling us what the Gospels are? Well, I'm not saying it for you. <laughs> I'm not talking to you. I, I just think it's polite to guests to not exclude them. You know how if you had someone over to your home and you welcomed them in and you sat them down on the couch and then you never talked to them again, how rude that would be? Right? When someone's a guest here, I don't ever want to exclude them, so I'm going to make sure they know what we're talking about. So I'm doing it for that reason. And then the second reason is I just want to set an example of talking to people who don't agree with you because you have in your life people who don't know the words that you know. And maybe you would, it would click for you, oh yeah, the Gospels, the four biographies of Jesus, da 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 so that's, that's the easy one, right? The language barrier. Here's the second one. Is, it's just a lot harder. I call them custom barriers. And um, it's where I assume that you share my perspective. I got two. First one, I think, is just kicking the slats out of Christianity in America. And it makes me really, really worried that the next generation is going to stay with us <laughs> uh, because of the way we've adopted this particular thing. But you got to see it first, right? Remember, you got to see it before you can change it, and then you can replace it with something else. And here's, here's, the, here's the first one. It's, uh, it's um, how we're acting about our politics. Now, I know you're, you're like, wait, you talk about that. Well, I, listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about having discussion about how to best order society. That's what politics are. It's just how do we order our society. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this issue in, our, in the church, and it's not just here, it's the church, where we've decided that our party is the right one and the other party is the wrong one. And, and I've seen it happen, whether you're, you're blue or whether you're red. I, I see churches like going like, yeah, Jesus is blue or Jesus is red as though that's the defining factor. And here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. Because we've made this so, so key to how we identify ourselves, what we're doing without recognizing it is we're putting a barrier up because what we're saying is that anybody who doesn't see it the way we do is automatically on the outside. Are you tracking with me? And I, I, frankly, this is an enormous problem in the church because... Um, we're, we're not together as the church by our interests. We're together because of Jesus, right? And, and the church has been held, in my, in my view, captive by political ideology. Again, I'm not talking about having a discussion about politics. I'm not, have that all day long. But, but here's, here's how I see it impacting, is people are leaving their churches over their politics, well, where are the people who are leaving their politics over their church, right? Like, you've already said to the world what you think is more important. 
And we have to replace that body politic with the body of Christ. You and I are together because of Jesus. That means we're together because we have the same need, not because we necessarily have the same interests. Are you tracking with me right here? You may see it differently than me, and I may see it differently than you, and that's absolutely fine. But we're in the family of Jesus, and this is a diverse family. Go read the description of heaven in Revelation chapter 3. And I saw before me a great multitude from every nation and tribe and people and language. You think everybody's the same? And so I, I think this is why it requires deep repentance. You might need to pause and think for a second Have I put things in place that have driven away my kids or my grandkids or someone I've been in a class with or someone I've been in a group with? And you made it just go, wait a second, I've made that more important than the fact that I've been bought and covered by the blood of Jesus. Are you tracking with me? Here's the second one. It's not as painful. We're holiness people, and so... Here's, here's what happens is that when you, when you give your life to Christ, what happens is you, you realize there are some things that I need to add to my life. And then there are some things that I need to subtract to my life. And, and those are all legitimate responses to following Jesus. But then here's what happens often is we forget that what God pointed out to us personally that we needed to either add to our life or subtract for our, our, to our life was a response to following Jesus. And so here's what happens. Here's the barrier we put in place. We take the things that were an add for us or a subtract for us on the other side of our journey, and we take and we put them on the front end of someone else's journey, and we say before they even know Jesus, they need to add those things or subtract those same things from their life before they can even get in, when for us it was a response. Are you tracking with me? I'll give you a real simple example. Um, Someone might walk in with a tattoo, right? I know it seems so silly. Back in my day, if you had a tattoo, that meant you were in a biker gang. Today, it just means you like art. <laughs> and, and, and someone, you know, way back, they may have been like, I got that lasered off my body. And I can't believe these kids today are coming in with tattoos or they're wearing a hat or they're like. And so here's, here's how you replace that. Either, both of those. Just recognize that you and I are on the welcoming committee and not the cleanup committee, Right? Like, heaven's got a welcoming committee, and you and I are on it. Um, Heaven has a cleanup committee. You and I were not selected. (laughs) Right? We're we're the welcoming committee. (laughs) How do I I tear the barrier down so you can be here with me? Now, here's the gospel, and then we're going to sing a song. You need to recognize in, in all of this that Jesus has already knocked down those barriers. Again, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, he said that what Jesus did by his death on the body was he destroyed that dividing wall of hostility, you know? The place where people are in and some people are out. Jesus was like, no, 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 uh-uh, no. Everybody's in. In my body, in my death, I made it possible for you all to be included. So you're not, you're not doing any of these things as a way to earn the love of God. You're only doing these things as a response to the love of God for you. That's the only way this is, is sustainable. 
And it's the only way you can become the kind of person who goes, yeah, no barriers, no barriers. I want to be part of a church that just knocks down barriers. We don't, we don't keep people out. If we find out there was a barrier, like it, this, this week you, I, in your group, I hope you talk about there's more barriers than this, right? Anytime we find that, we're just going to eliminate it because we don't, we don't want people sitting in parking lots going, oh, I can't go in or the roof will cave in. We don't want that to happen. Not on our watch. Not on our watch. Let me pray for you, then I want you to hear this song, and then we're going to receive the elements of communion together. Would you bow your head? Lord, um, I, I pray that we could see what you did that day in the temple for what it was and for what it is. Of you saying that your heart is always, always has been, is, and always will be for people coming close to you. Lord, I have been guilty of putting up barriers to people, not recognizing it. I don't want to be part of that. Lord, we have been part of putting up barriers to people and not recognizing it. Help us open our eyes so that we could see, so that we'd say, oh, I don't, I don't want to put up a false barrier. So that we could have the heart of the Christians in Acts 15 who said we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are trying to come to God. We, Lord, put that heart in us. We don't want to make it difficult for people. We want to make it easy. Lord, thank you that you removed all barriers. You removed the dividing wall of hostility, the, the, the hate in our own heart, the rebellion in our own heart, the difficulty in our own heart that would keep us from you. By your death on the cross, you removed that for us. Thank you. Now, Lord, help us to, in turn, do the same for other people. Lord, we ask for this in your name.